somebody who writes an article say that the guy on Jeopardy that's still winning, his accomplishment needs to be up there with some of the greatest sports achievements of all time. <laughs> Not all competitions are sports. That's true. I, gotta, I don't know why you'd lump it in with sports. But. Yeah. It certainly is impressive. Is there a game show Hall of Fame? Put this guy in. Well, sure. He, he would have to be in it, yes. Yeah, certainly. I think we'd all agree. And we could all agree. I'm never going Bringing to Bringing America together. I'm never going to the game show Hall of Fame. So. Everybody gets one of those Bob Barker skinny microphones. <laughs> you get the souvenir one for your kid in the gift shop. Right. <laughs> that you have to go through to get out. It's a scam. <laughs> So a couple of companion uh, pieces of of, uh, journalism recently. One of them uh, co-authored by the great Jordan Peterson with Greg Hurwitz. The Wall Street Journal had this, uh, and it was was not preaching to the choir. Are all Democrats socialists? Don't believe the hype. Long and short of this article is about how the AOC wing of the Democratic Party, the Ilhan Omar, and uh, that other gal whose name I can never remember who called the president an MFer, um, uh, it, I call it the college girl wing of the party. It's kind of the frantically self-righteous, overly emotional, illogical uh, end of the party is a very, very small minority. And that's the point that uh, Hurwitz and Peterson are making. Well, do they talk about Bernie? I mean, he's, he's, a, he's running for president as a socialist. Yeah, yeah. But they mentioned that, you know, out in America... Uh, candidates backed by the mainstream pro-business New Democrat Coalition won 33 of 40 House seats that flipped from red to blue. Um, compare that to with the Justice Democrats and the Sanders-esque Our Revolution who didn't manage to convert one seat. Hmm. Uh, as for messaging, the third way informs us no Democrat in a majority-making competitive district ran even one ad on free college a federal jobs guarantee, expanding Social Security, or passing a nationwide $15 minimum wage. Not a single ad. Boy, I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, and listen, I think if you're so a conservative... So media, the media is not doing the Democratic Party any favors. No. Nope. the media is making it seem like, well, that's what the Democratic Party is. Right. And you're stating it's the opposite. Right. Yeah. Yeah, to a large extent. And it's funny, as a, somebody who you know, doesn't swing that way politically, I was thinking about, okay, that's an interesting point. Would, if that perception became more widespread, that would help the Democratic Party, I think. Um, the reality? The reality. Yeah, right. yeah absolutely yeah. It would. Yeah, sorry, absolutely yeah. would. Yeah, the more accurate one. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, Peterson and Hurwitz were writing about that in the Wall Street Journal, but I think it's, it's accurate. Um, there's pr- plenty of radicalism, but it represents a fairly small group of people at this point. Certainly a small group of, wa- of voters. And I'm putting that together. It occurred to me at the last minute that that was a good companion to what I'd intended to talk about, which was a, uh, a professor at Sarah Lawrence College. It's one of your elite uh, you know, universities, East Coast uh, elite universities. Um, Do they talk like this, though? Absolutely. Everyone on campus does. That's part of orientation. I am excited to be here. Not yeah, like man. that. You're excited to be here. <laughs> it's about one professor, but he's emblematic of so many things. And again, our theme is, these are just a few maniacs. Now, on college, college campuses, you know, that's a small enough world 
that a few maniacs in terms of the total population is like the majority of people, or at least the majority of people in power. But listen to this. Last October, Sarah Lawrence College professor Samuel Abrams wrote an essay in the New York Times. And while critics of higher education have often focused on faculty bias, um, a larger problem has gone mostly unnoticed. And I remember talking about this at the time. Abrams' research revealed that college administrators are more uniformly progressive even than college faculties. Liberal staff members, he wrote, outnumber their conservative counterparts by the astonishing ratio of 12 to 1, making them the most left-leaning group on campus. These are administrators. I quote, ideological imbalance coupled with the administrator's agenda setting power threatens the free and open exchange of ideas. It's just all undeniably true. He gives a bunch of examples and and we're familiar with them. We've been talking about them. Speakers uninvited, Christian groups getting kicked off campus or whatever, groups not being able to be certified. Um and for having said this. He got his office door vandalized. Students called for him to be punished. Anonymous individuals falsely accused him of sexual misconduct. And when uh, this professor urged the college president, one Crystal Judd, to take a strong stand in favor of academic freedom, she, quote, asked whether he thought it was appropriate to write op-eds without her permission and further suggested that his article had been hostile toward his colleagues. And then, this and this is the main point I wanted to get to. Listen to the stuff they say about a guy who says, hey, 12 to 1 coupled with their authority? It's just, it's not good for the free exchange of, a free exchange of ideas. Here's the response of a group of students calling themselves the Diaspora Coalition. They began a sit-in, issued an extraordinary set of demands, including demands aimed directly at Abrams. They called on the college to, quote, confront how the presence of Sam Abrams affects the safety and well-being of marginalized students. And then Always they were, with the safety. I know it. The, the I'm unsafe because you have a different point of view than me. That's just so weird. That is an idea that must be stamped out. Oh, I'd be ashamed to say it. I'd be, I, I'd be horrified if one of my kids said that. That's shame shaming. <laughs> how, how wilted a hothouse flower are you? Yes, I'm shame shaming. Good. The very existence of an opposing viewpoint makes you feel unsafe. So here is, uh, this paragraph from their, um, their their uh, screed, which I wanted to read to you, and and my point going back to the AOC wing of the party's tiny. When you hear that horse crap, call it out as horse crap. You're right. Listen to this. On October sixteenth, twenty eighteen, politics professor Samuel Abrams published an op-ed, um, which we talked about. The article revealed the anti-blackness, anti-LGBTQ plus, and anti-woman bigotry of Abrams. The article specifically targeted programs such as our Liberation Summit, which Abrams did not attend, blah, blah, blah. The Sarah Lawrence community deserves an administration that strives for an inclusive education that reflects the diversity of our community. How ironic is that? Yeah. Abrams' derision of Black Lives Matter, queer liberation, and women's rights movements display not only ignorance, and he didn't, by the way. That's a wild exaggeration from the original piece. But outright hostility toward the essential efforts to dismantle white supremacy and other systems of oppression. 
This threatens the safety, there we are again, and well-being of marginalized people within the Sarah Lawrence community by demonstrating that our lives and identities are viewed as opinions that we can have a, quote, difference in dialogue about, as if we haven't been forced to debate our very existence for our entire lives. We demand that Samuel Abrams' position at the college be put up to tenure review to a panel of the Diaspora Coalition, that's the, the kids, and at least three faculty members of color. In addition, the college must issue a statement condemning the harm that Abrams has caused to the community, specifically queer, black, and female students, whilst they say whilst. Kids, nobody not in college says whilst, unless it's the 18th century. Moreover, whilst apologizing for its refusal to protect marginalized students wounded by his op-ed and the ignorant dialogue that follows. <laughs> Abrams must issue a public apology to the broader community and cease to target black people, queer people, and women. <laughs> so there you go. You make a perfectly reasonable argument. Hey, ideologically, we're running 12 to 1. That's probably not healthy. They come immediately with, you're a racist, you're a sexist, you're a homophobe, you're all those insulting terms. My friends, they're wrong, and they're full of crap. Don't be afraid of them. (laughs) Don't kowtow to them. Somebody says that to you, and you're the boss, and you think, oh, maybe I should fire that person. No, no, no. It's, It's Maoist, like, ideological terrorism. These people are nuts, and there aren't many of them. Screw them. Good point, Michael. Only one thing you can do when you're feeling unsafe. Do the safety dance. Well, if you're going to do any dance at all, Jack, this would be the one. I mean, you can dance if you want to. Um, one of our closest allies, allies is no longer a military power. That doesn't help anything. Whoops. We got a really interesting terrorism trial that's starting this week in Chicago that we're going to probably keep our eye on. And a bunch of other stuff. Hope you can stay with us on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Because your friends don't dance and hit the- Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Available right now via the iHeart app and iTunes. Our two new podcasts. Armstrong and Getty, one more thing. That's our daily after show podcast. And Armstrong and Getty Extra Large featuring our interviews of the most interesting people in the world. Subscribe today via the iHeart app or iTunes. Or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Because we're stupid. The Armstrong and Getty Show. What remains of the day remains to be seen. Last month alone. 100,000 illegal immigrants arrived at our borders, placing a massive strain on communities and schools and hospitals and public resources like nobody's ever seen before. Now, we're sending many of them to sanctuary cities. Thank you very much. They're not too happy about it. I'm proud to tell you that was actually my sick idea, but sorry. No. Hey, hey. What, they, what did they say? We want them. I said, we'll give them to you. Thank you. They said, we don't want them. There you have it. So, um, 
Yeah. So I, I, I didn't see Trump's rally on Saturday, but I understand he went through the, all the good economic news point by point, which is a smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, How about an hour last night? I'm not going to call it 60 minutes anymore. I think it's pretentious. I'm just going to call it an hour. <laughs> With now everybody from the media to everybody saying, yeah, we have a horrendous crisis on the border. It's a manufactured crisis, manufactured crisis, manufactured crisis. It's a manufactured crisis, manufactured crisis. We got that? Beautiful. Is it a humanitarian crisis or is it a national security crisis? It's absolutely both. That's the head of Homeland Security right now. And everybody acknowledges it right now. Well, not everybody, but an increasing number of people. It's a horrendous crisis on the border. You have Thomas Friedman writing that piece in the New York Times. Everybody just kind of shuffled their feet and grew pink-faced and tried to ignore it. But he said, listen, we need a high wall and a smart gate that lets in the right sort of people. But we absolutely need to control the borders. Only, you know, back to the theme of the last segment, only radicals are against that idea. Unfortunately, both parties are profiting so mightily from illegal immigration that you know they don't do anything about it. So I'm going to keep my eye on this trial that's starting this week in Chicago because I've been kind of into this for a while. Um, it's a terrorism case. It's one of those deals where was this a terrorist or somebody who's got some problems and the FBI led them down a path toward being a terrorist mm. that they wouldn't have gone down on their own. And then you call him a terrorist at the end of the path. Yeah, yeah. And I'm always Those a little tough. Dis- I'm always a little disturbed by that. In this particular case, this guy they think uh, might be mentally ill, um, or certainly not completely mentally competent, as he declared that the Illuminati and reptilian overlords were after him. Now the Illuminati's out there. Rap- reptilian overlords don't take orders from a lizard. Cold-blooded bastards. Well, that reminds me. There's a frog in our pool over the weekend. Baxter about ate him. A what? A frog. Mm. It's an amphibian, I realize, but thing swam to the corner of the pool where it's shallowest. Baxter's right there. The thing starts to leap out of the water, and Baxter's <coughs> like, oh, yeah. And I made a sound I'm not proud of. I'm really glad nobody was there to witness it. I shriek like a woman. <laughs> what? what? Because, what? Well, because, number one, I didn't want to see a, a, a frog ripped apart, particularly. Number two, it wouldn't do Baxter's stomach any good because he's had stomach problems. And I didn't know what eating a wild frog would do to him. He'd probably be fine. He probably would be. But I shrieked like a woman. He looked up like, what, dude, what? And the frog swam away in that moment. Thank God. He got away. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, idiot. You totally <laughs> deserve the frogs <laughs> down in Houston. Yeah, we know. Are bisexual. I know. I've heard that. I totally distracted him. So anyway, I'm going to follow this trial and see if they decide with that, yeah, this guy was a terrorist, or you kind of set him up. I'm a guy that's not that sharp uh, with all these opportunities. And the, uh, then the, uh, he said, yeah, I suppose I could do that. And then you arrest him. Yeah, it'd be easier if it was like physics or science of some sort. Had he tipped? Was he just saying, I tell you what, I don't, I don't like uh, America's uh, policy in Muslim nations. Really makes me unhappy. I mean, is that as far as he went? Then somebody said, hey, would you like to do something about it? I mean, and then he said, yeah, yeah, what do you have in mind? I mean, uh, at what point are we, you know, pulling hold of the fly and pulling him into the spider's web? I mean, that's because that's not cool. Yeah. So once and for all, well, I don't know about once and for all, but at least in this 
situation here and take a look at it and try to figure that out. Yeah. I'm not soft on terrorism, but I also don't want to take doofuses and like lead them down a path and then arrest them. The, 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 the thing, main thing being, and then feel like we've done something, like we've right. accomplished something in the war on terror. Yeah. Well, we haven't. No, we, just wasted... no, we created a, a straw man that knocked him down. Yeah. Better to have that agent to, instead of him, I have a social worker or whatever. I don't know if this is necessary, but get online and say, hey, I understand you're unhappy. What's going on? Talk to him. Talk him down. The Washington Post, I mentioned, has an illustrated guide to all 2,339 deaths in Game of Thrones during all the seasons. That's there funny. have been 2,339 deaths. That's a lot of deaths. I'm watching shows just nonstop slaying. Well, the dragons take out they they can take out big chunks. There's there's certainly five or six episodes that account for a large portion of those inflated numbers. And and during you know your big battle scene, you get stab slash disembowel stab. I mean that's four right there. <laughs> yeah, bang bang bang. Right, slab slash disembowel. Right. Uh. Then a spear right through the oh, often it's from behind. They're they're a big fan of the spear from behind, like through the neck. Oh, popular move. Oh, very big in the medieval times, Jack. Urgh. Oh, I have a I have a, a scholarly piece on what rural life was like during the Middle Ages. Yes, and it was rough. Yeah. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, Lindsey Graham done with talk of Trump impeachment. Lays out the reasons why. Donald Trump's 2020 campaign manager says expect a bigger, bolder, and badder campaign this time around. Oh, boy. And we got new warnings about the back seat of your car. Oh, God. Coming up. What are you going to try to claim? Is it FM, Marshall? No, it is not. Mm. That's funny, because that's where I like to go. (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. up on a whole bunch of different stories. We're trying to do it. Let's do it right now with Marsha Phillips. Well, the woman who died in that shooting at a synagogue in Southern California is going to be laid to rest today. She blocked the bullets meant for the rabbi. A suspected shooter chased from the building with his gun jammed. He's been booked on first-degree murder and attempted murder. The rabbi, Israel Goldstein, telling reporters that President Trump called him to share his condolences on behalf of the American people. And he was just so comforting that I'm really grateful to our president for taking the time and, and making that effort to share with us his comfort and consolation. Again, the shooting happening in Poway outside of San Diego. Senator Lindsey Graham says he doesn't care if President Trump ordered special counsel Robert Mueller to be fired. It's just all theater. It doesn't matter. I don't care what he said to Don McGahn. It's what he did. On CBS Face the Nation, he says it doesn't matter what they discussed because in the end, nothing happened. The point is the president did not impede Mueller from doing his investigation. And it doesn't trouble you that the president is changing his version of events. I don't I don't care what happened between him and Don McGahn. Here's what I care about. Did Mueller, was a Mueller allowed to do his job? And the answer is yes. Name one thing that they did to stop Mueller from doing his job. And if you can't, then there's no obstruction. Will you call him again to testify? Uh, n- not me? No. No, I'm, I'm done. You know, everybody picks their side first and then picks their facts. But a guy stomping around, frustrated and saying, we got to get rid of Mueller. We can't do that. What? Well, well, we ought to. All right, well, we're not. That's obstructing justice? 
Call him up and d- tell him to come over here. We can't do that, Mr. President. We can't do that. We, that would not be right. And then it doesn't happen. Have People who are citing these things that he said, that there was no action taken on him. Have you never been in a meeting or an argument or anything right. where people say all sorts of crap, but then the steam's let off and then you actually do what you're going to do? I don't know. To me, I just think people are pretending. You know, if you if you think the impulse to even think about getting rid of Mueller is enough, okay, that's fine. That's I I get that. You know, if Barack Obama had said we should we should bomb Kansas, it's too conservative. Just lay waste to it. Nuclear war on Kansas, and 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 one of his advisors had said we can't do that. We can't nuke uh, the American people. Okay, yeah, I would think that was crazy, and I would think Barack Obama ought to be removed from office for saying that. But admit it, that's all that happened, was a blustery guy blustering. So, uh, Lindsey Graham has uh, put the brakes on it for the Senate, then. There's gonna be, not going to be any more investigating in the Senate Judiciary Committee. And he said to my Democratic friends in the House, if you want to impeach him, go ahead and impeach him, which is a dare. <laughs> that's really a, go ahead and do it, because I think it'll come back to haunt you. As we are looking ahead now to the 2020 presidential campaign, we know two things for sure. There are 20 Democratic candidates at this moment. And President Trump... I think Trump, there are 21 I heard this morning, although I don't know who the 21st is. Maybe they're counting somebody out on. President Trump, 2021, isn't concerned about any of them. Not even Swalwell! Swalwell! In fact, his 2020 campaign manager, Brad Parscale, promises... We're looking at being bigger, better, and better than we were in 2016. And we'll, But this time, we're not out there trying to prove we can do something. The president has proved he has done it. And now we just have to deliver what he's done. Brad telling CBS Face the Nation that the Trump campaign plans to rally up to 1.6 million volunteers compared to 700,000 it had in 2016. Huh. So this is the guy that used Facebook yes. uh, in the last election and it really helped get Trump elected. I mean, I don't think Trump would be president without this guy. Um, I don't understand why he was telling Face the Nation all their plans. I, I just kept thinking... I think one of the advantages you had last time around, everybody was just talking about what a ridiculous campaign you are and how you've got no ground game and you had the best ground game and internet game that anybody's ever had Mm -hmm. secretly. Why are you telling everybody now? I think everybody knows maybe. But why give more details? What's the upside? This is how many people we have in how many states and these are the things we're going to focus on. Why? Why? Mm -hmm. Why? Parscale noting this time around. Seems like coming out before the Super Bowl and say we're going to run the ball (laughs) on every third down. Parscale noting this time around, Trump has the backing of the Republican Party, the full backing along with its war chest and data operations. He's an interesting dude. Really is. All right. It has been long believed that sitting in the front passenger seat of a car is the most deadly spot you can sit in in a crash. But the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety says that idea is outdated. They're saying the back seat is now the more dangerous place to be sitting. And it's due to the fact that car makers have done more to make the front seat safer than the back seat. Newest study data from the uh, group shows that seat belts in the back seat can cause injuries in some collisions, and that passengers in the second row of the seats often suffered more severe injuries than people in the front during a front crash. Mm, keep that in mind while calling shotgun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm claustrophobic. I like to ride on the hood. What does it say about that? <laughs> that is probably an even worse idea, sir. That's a look at your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation.
So what was life really like in the Middle Ages? I'll give you a hint. Between the year 1100 and 1400, that's 300 years, there was one fat guy. <laughs> in three, I'm serious. <laughs> that's probably pretty true. Every single day, trying desperately to find enough calories to survive. There's a hint. So we got that. Also, e-scooters are no joke, Joe. Some of the injuries people are getting all across America thanks to e-scooters. <laughs> are you at risk? <laughs> yes, you are. Be afraid. Among other things, coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the of nation. Of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I don't know if you've had one of these fake meat hamburgers yet that are supposed to be so great, but uh, you're going to, no doubt about it. Got some new info out on that, so stay tuned. Plus, it's exploding. Sports Illustrated has, for the first time, a model wearing a hijab and a burkini. Isn't that woke? So, as part of the swimsuit issue? Yes. Does that still yeah, have, the swimsuit issue. Does sorry. that still exist? Yes. As a thing? Yes. Really? Because where are you going to find pictures of scantily clad women, Jack? Right. I know. It's 2019. It's hard to Good find. Lord. Rural life in the past was a battle for survival. This, uh, this gal who wrote this uh, piece for humanprogress.org um, did a, a city living one as well. It's really interesting, but I wanted to concentrate on this one. Which would have been the majority of people, I think. What's that? Rural life. Correct. We Uh, the people on this farm. That's right, Mitt. Before (laughs) industrialization, European society was bifurcated. That means cut in two. Between a small minority of the very rich and the vast majority, uh, majority of the very poor. Perhaps if you'd like an ideological umbrella to stand under while I tell this to you. Um, We live in the most income unequal time in history, that sort of thing. Constantly being told how miserable life is and the government needs to do something about it. The uh, The best estimates they can get is during the reign of Louis the Fourteenth. That was when, Jack, 1700s, 1800s, nobody knows, um, estimated that the French population consisted of 10% rich people, 50% very poor, and that's the second level of rich. Very poor. <laughs> Wait, it drops from rich? Is in second place. Yes. And, and no. I'm guessing by poor, they don't mean poor in the United States, where you've got only one car instead of two. Xbox, air conditioning, refrigerator, <laughs> yeah. freezer. Yeah, okay, I'll get to that, though. So you got uh, 10% rich, 50% very poor, 30% near beggars, so they can occasionally feed themselves, and 10% beggars. I mean, technically, when I was living downtown, that's where I was. I was beggars. They mean you're, you're damn near begging yourself. Yeah. Right. You're pert near beggar. Right. As soon as you finish that half a cup of wheat, you'll be begging. Uh, let's see. And sure enough, they go through a couple of populations, 9 to 12% beggars, with absolutely no means of support whatsoever. And you think, boy, there are a lot of beggars around here, wherever you live. Well, yeah, but if you live in a metro area of, say, you know, I don't know, a million people, there aren't 100,000 people begging. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, a little taste. 
An account of rural life in 16th century Lombardy, again, we're in France, found that the peasants live on wheat, and it seems to us that we can disregard their other expenses because it is the shortage of wheat that induces the laborers to raise their... That's a very fancy way of saying... Yes? Once you pronounce the H and once you didn't. I like it when you do pronounce the H. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Wheat. (laughs) What they're driving at is in 15th century England... 80% 80% of private expenditure went on food. 80% of that amount, 20% was spent on bread alone. By comparison, uh, in recent years in the U.S., only 10% of private expenditures spent on food, a figure which is itself inflated by the amount Americans spend in restaurants. Mm. So, Oh, right. So it could be much less if yeah, we, if we didn't go with them. Probably 5 or 6%. And we eat more than we have to, so you could right. cut another percent or two. Right. 20% of their food budget was bread? I mean, come on. It's called a low-carb diet in medieval ages. <laughs> yeah. Get on it. 80% went to food. Uh, let's see. Ah, as Johann Norberg noted in progress, 10 reasons to look forward to the future. Uh, this is during the 18th century now, the 1700s. It was common for children to start working from seven years of age. Oh, I talked to my kids about that. Their working conditions varied, but one 16th century ordinance in Lombardy found that supervisors of work in rice fields, quote, bring together a large number of children and adolescents against whom they practice barbarous cruelties. They do not provide these poor creatures with the necessary food and make them labor as slaves by beating them and treating them more harshly than galley slaves so that many of the children die miserably in the farms in neighboring fields. So those are white people in fields being starved and beaten to death routinely, in Europe, and their children. There's your Middle Ages. I was going to make a joke about how kids are actually bad employees, but that got dark real quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it did, although I appreciate the impulse. Yeah, they would be bad employees. The idealized imagery of rural life portrayed by romantic painters, philosophers, and poets provides the modern reader with a highly skewed sense of reality. Says this one uh, historian, uh, we do know that the mass of the population lived in a state of undernourishment. This gave rise, among other things, to serious forms of avitaminosis, um, deficit of vitamins. Widespread filth was also the cause of troublesome and painful skin diseases. To this must be added, in certain areas, the endemic presence of malaria or the deleterious effects of restricted matrimonial selection, which gave rise to cretinism. (laughs) That's a bunch of fancy words. Inbreeding? Saying there is so much filth and disease... You were in constant pain, and there were so few non-relatives around, the inbreeding actually resulted in in deformity. Uh, So that's that's the main part of it. And why did you want to tell us this? I just think it's good perspective. Be thankful for our times. Oh, the other thing I read the other day was that... poor, you're better off than that? That adjusted for inflation, the average person at the end of the 19th century... Right before the dawn of the 20th century, average person in the U.S. was living on about a buck ninety-five a day, adjusted for inflation. You barely could feed yourself and your children, and only if you worked all day long. And then, you know, the free market and industrialization came, and the rest of it, and and everybody's standard of living exploded. And yet, now we're more anxious and and depressed and. All that than ever. Makes you stop and think, doesn't it? It does.
This is an odd beast, the if human you, beast. If you did try to explain to those people why you or your children are so anxious and unhappy, it'd be it'd be difficult. For but you're not going to starve today, oh, yeah. right? No, yeah. no, no, I'm not going to starve. There's no chance of that. Right. Then, then what are you going to happy about? So That's talk, the only thing I think about all day, every day. You talk to some brother and sister there. They're married. They've got seven kids. Two of them have already been worked to death. And the, and, and the, the, the man's got some sort of terrible skin disease that he got from the S and P running through the streets. And you're explaining to him why you're depressed. I, you know, I think, I think it's useful to count our blessings. Mm. I don't think we do it enough. I think for one thing, we're surrounded. Number one, no sores. Number two. Well, not many sores. I, I think, you know, we have an entire media apparatus, social media, all feeding us reasons to be unhappy all the time. I was talking to Jack during the commercials that. God, this exchange between uh, a couple of people on Twitter, a prominent musician and uh, a critic of his, they're both in wildly different worlds. I mean, like, one has no idea what the other one's talking about, just different sets of facts, and they're very, very angry at each other and are saying terrible things to each other. I'm looking at that thinking, y'all are bringing me down now. So, I don't know. Count your blessings, huh? Just good advice. Number one, no sores. I said I'm counting them. Very few sores. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) Uh, So we've been telling you about the uh, the impossible uh, impossible meat, and then the other one, Beyond Meat. This is two different companies that are competing for. We got the best fake meat out there, and I still haven't tried any of this, but it's supposed to be fantastic. I mean, just, people want the beef. It's as much like beef or hamburger or whatever as, as anything has ever been. And so, uh, Beyond Meat is going public, and it's going to be in Kroger's and Targets, thirty-five thousand outlets across the country. Uh, last year, revenue is eighty million dollars. Blah blah blah. It's exploding. And then when the, you say going public, you mean marketing yeah, or publicly or, traded? Yeah, publicly yeah, traded. Yeah, ah, yeah, I yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They've, they've had a couple of good years, and now they're going public, and they're going to—they're in all these different places. And then there's the other one, their competitor, the Impossible Meat. The Impossible Whopper plans to extend the test to more markets uh, around the country, and just—just just the idea that this is coming, this is coming to uh, to you. And Burger King is targeting a, a nationwide distribution of the Impossible Whopper by the end of the year. Mm. I will definitely try one. Although, I don't know—that's the best comparison. Uh, Burger King, McDonald's, those kind of hamburgers don't taste like hamburgers to start with. So I don't know. Uh, BK's to me has always tasted a little more like well, a burger. It's closer than McDonald's, but right? Still, I, we had burgers on the grill this weekend. Man. Completely different beast. Um, there's a lot wrong with our food system, says these people. Producing meat by raising animals on factory farms produces tons of greenhouse gases. Analysts think we can't tackle climate change without tackling the emissions from these animals. That would be flatulence. Animals in close quarters are fed low-dose antibiotics constantly so that they don't make one another sick, which contributes to antibiotic resistance. I don't know how much of antibiotic resistance is that. I don't know Versus either. humans overusing them. I drive through kind of a rural uh, area on my way home, and there's a sign. Uh, guys selling Angus beef steaks at his ranch, I guess. Hmm. And I, uh, it's funny. I'm, I, I want to stop in and get some, but I, it seems weird to me. Why does it seem weird? I don't know. Just I don't know. Uh, just Is he going to like slice some off? Or what? Have a cow standing there and probably, slice a little off? Probably fresh not. Here. Probably won't do that. Okay. <laughs> especially with I all just, your. I just feel like I'm bothering him. Especially when he sees you with all your sores. <laughs> I just got the one or two. 
93% of Beyond Meat customers buy regular meat, too, suggesting the company has succeeded at making something that appeals to meat eaters and might become more of a, I like meat, but I don't want to eat it as often as I do, so I'll have this some days, and then like maybe every Friday night I'll have a real steak or something. I don't know. Although, if it tastes the same, why would you ever have a real steak? Now, on the other hand, why would I ever not have a real steak? Am I supposed to not eat these, this meat? <laughs> why am I not supposed to eat my meat? I'm eating my meat. I'm enjoying it. It's not it. good for you. Says who? Take a look at your colon. <laughs> well, I don't care. Right now. My colon? <laughs> Bend over. You. Well, that's uh, too much meat. Not good for you. Well, the meat don't do it. From my view, if if you believe that there is a non-zero effect on the the greenhouse gas things, the antibiotic resistant, like the, those, to me, are the magnets to pull away from eating traditional meats. Depending on how much you believe that information to be accurate, it could be a heck of a lot cheaper too. I mean, we bought uh, we bought some decent tri-tip over the weekend. It was it's dang expensive. Yeah, this stuff's got to be cheaper. Yeah, yeah, and I got to admit, I, I love the meat. I'm no uh, no uh, granola weirdo, but you got these enormous cattle farms and hog lots and the rest of it. All that poo's got to go somewhere, you know? A little nasty living downstream from what I hear. <laughs> huh? Well, then live upstream. You might as well be ooching around the 16th century with your sores and your sister wife and your <laughs> odd little children who are working in fields and... Right. Eating grass in the yard like you are a cow because you have no food. I don't know how those people ever got together to procreate, being as gross as they were. Well, that's where perfume came from. Everybody oh, stank. That's just disgusting. And you don't want to take a dip in the stream because of that hog farm I just told oh, you about. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. <laughs>